This is a Crow's Nest podcast. Hello, hello, and welcome back to Damsels Who Discuss. I am Alexia. And I'm Gally. And we're discussing another fun package film. I almost forgot and said this was my other show again, and one day I'm going to not do that, but today is not that day. Um, This year, year, this week, we, I'm having a hard time. We are, <laughs> I've been in Vegas for the past few days, and if anyone here listening has not been to Vegas, there is nothing to completely jack up your internal systems like Vegas. Yeah, and I'm guessing that your brain is still a little bit in Vegas right now. It is. And also, I'd forgotten that it wasn't just a two-hour, I mean, that it wasn't just a one-hour time delay. I thought it was only one, but mm-hmm. it was two hours. And that that really makes a difference when, you know, you're used to waking up at, say, 7.30 in the morning. You suddenly get up and it's 5.30. 6.30 you can adjust a little bit for, but... Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, it's wild. And if anyone, again, hasn't been to Vegas, if you stay in any of the main strip hotels... They're all designed to keep you from understanding anything about the passage of time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that it's, it's a bubble. Yeah. Yes, exactly. It's a bubble. So it does nothing for your internal clocks. Well, you know what else doesn't do anything useful for really any part of your body whatsoever? What? Watching this movie. I am going to agree with you. And uh, apologies to Melody Time, whose <laughs> 75th anniversary it is this year. Yay. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. <laughs> Um, I did the summary this time. And I, I like I explained in the last one where the last package film I did the summary for, it's hard to do the summary for it because there isn't a through line and they're all yeah. quite random. So let's let me just get into this. My first summary, they're both about the same length this time. <laughs> uh, Melody Time is Disney's 1948 animated masterpiece featuring another bevy of beautifully animated shorts. These shorts are Once Upon a Winter Time, a romantic love story of Christmas. Bumble Boogie, a bumblebee relentlessly being pursued by music, The Legend of Johnny Appleseed, The Telling of the Famous Pioneer Known for His Planting Apple Trees, Little Toot, An Adorable Tugboat Learning a Life Lesson About Growing Up, Trees, The Passing of Time Over Colored Cell Animation Through the Seasons in Nature, Blame It on the Samba, Donald Duck and Jose Carioca Meeting the Arahuian Bird and Discovering the Magic of Samba, and Pecos Bill which tells the story of the famous Texan hero. <clears throat> yeah, that was that's an appropriate summary, but tell us how you really feel. Melody Time is yet another thrown-together mishmash of musical shorts that people made without consulting each other and hoped they'd vaguely fit together. Spoiler <laughs> alert, they absolutely don't. Uh, we start with stereotypical Christmas card stuff, then we terrorize a bee, we watch the spread of Christianity uh, like a disease, We see how obnoxious children are, once again, uh, get treated to a nap by watching the seasons pass again and again and again. Uh, We then get our once-per-movie acid trip with three birds and end with one more story of the amazing American man and how women suck in the wildest and pretty racist retelling of the creation of Texas. Yeah, you know, didn't really think that we'd have two creationist stories in one disney movie but i guess we do i guess i shouldn't be surprised though (sighs) i know 
<laughs> when you message you messaged me the other day telling me that um it was like watching uh oh yes i think i said it was like watching um like a, a christian uh animated story with a disney budget i didn't tell you which which one of these segments that was about either yeah you did not but i came back with you to you about something called um adventures from the book of virtues Mm -hmm. which i looked up because i watched this a lot when i was in school for those who don't know i went to a catholic school so there was a lot of things that we watched that you would not be allowed to watch somewhere else and i looked this up like i said because i just oh my god i wanted to make sure i wasn't crazy oh my gosh okay So I'm going to read a little bit of the plot here. And it says, the first thing it says is the series centered on two best friends, 10-year-old Annie Redfeather, who is Native American, and 11-year-old Zach Nichols, who is white. Thank you. Mm -hmm. In each episode of the series, one of them commits an act contrary to that day's chosen virtue and suffers a pain as a result. They then seek counsel from one of Annie's animal friends, who are anthropomorphic mountain-dwelling entities who possess immense knowledge of literary legends, as well as common sense and a lively sense of fun. And if you were not in a Catholic school, you might have caught this cartoon on PBS. Yes, Which is how I saw it. (laughs) I didn't watch it on PBS, but I remember this. But yeah, it's basically that. And the character I remember the most is the bison Aristotle. Mm -hmm. As soon as I saw it, this... Oh, no, Socrates. No, wait, what the fuck? Plato! Jesus! Plato is the bison. I went through everything else because I remember all these characters. Oh, God. Yeah, and this bison kind of looks like a knockoff of Beast from Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, a little bit. Like, gorgeous eyes. Lovely eyelashes. Filled with wisdom, I'm sure. And godly wisdom, I also assume. Yeah. It, yeah, like, I'm looking at episode number two from season three annie chooses to build an electric motor for her science project but has a tough time with it so it's ready to quit plato reminds her of a pair who wanted to build a machine but had to put a lot of effort into making the first airplane in the wright brothers so it's always that kind of thing where they're like i don't want to do this oh why do i have to do this exactly and i'm remembering what bison father I remember one episode that I can't find the plot for, but they use like Ariadne in it. Anyway, Hmm. I bring all that up because this is exactly what those shorts kind of reminded me of, where it's, you know, these jolly children's tales with a very Christian overtone. Yeah, it was a little, I don't want to say it was out of left field because it's still Disney, but it was a little bizarre um, given how overt it was compared to the more subtlety-ish-ness of it. Well, it's also because, you know, you can't do that today without it being, you know, outrightly labeled as religious media, which I don't think is a bad thing. I think that it should be appropriately labeled. It's just interesting that you think back to a time when it was, no, the default is that you are Christian and that you speak English and that you are white. Sit down and be quiet about it. Yes. Um, Do we want to backtrack to the beginning of the... (laughs) I was going to say the intro, though, is yet one more very boring choral introduction to which I imagine people should just be slow dancing. Yeah, and the song, like, lyrics mean nothing. Correct. And then the first sort of, like, real visual anything we get, um, aside from the uh, after the credits, is one uh, guy mask and three female masks. And what I wrote down is, these masks are awful. Please stop. And the first mask looks like the mayor of Halloween Town. 
It yep. really does look like the mayor of Halloween Town. I think that the other masks were supposed to be the Andrew sisters because they make an appearance. I can only again. assume so. But yeah, I was also like, okay, immediate creepy masks. Why? Like, why are we having to suffer through this again? Yeah, just because you wanted to torture us all. And then that doesn't really go anywhere at all. It just kind of is like, all right, masks here, then masks by. Yeah, it was a weird, like, <clears throat> you almost think that he's supposed to be the master of ceremonies, the master yeah. of ceremonies. But he he isn't. He just kind of is like, hey, everyone, welcome to a movie. <laughs> anyway, farewell. And, right. and, I, and it's instead this paintbrush that is kind of our through plot, quote unquote, because it's the only yeah. thing that's like showing us any transitions between each of these segments. Yeah, any consistency at all. Yeah. Which just really, really read to me as, hey, this is a bunch of bullshit that we're putting together. I don't know. Enjoy it or whatever. Exactly. And like, yeah, because then the first thing that we see has nothing to do with masks. It's called, um, as I mentioned, Once Upon a Winter Time. And it is just the most like lifetime Christmas music video movie of a boy and a girl named Jenny and Joe. And then uh, Revlon's uh, rabbit spokesperson mm-hmm. and her rabbit Sassy boyfriend, rabbit. Sassy <laughs> Rabbit, falling in love, uh, suffering an ice misadventure, and then falling in love again. Oh, okay. I'm going to just preface this by saying that, like, Melody Time was a struggle for me to get through. Oh, yeah. So this one especially, I'm I'm not a big christmas song fan i'm especially not a christmas song fan when i'm watching something in the middle of august which Dude, i mean is so isn't hot the outside right fault, now but yeah it's just not really in the mood and <laughs> i hated these two um yeah not I a felt, fan i felt like the boyfriend was such a jerk and wouldn't communicate at all no and like it is one thing to not communicate if you're on a controlled ice rink. They go skating on a frozen pond, which I don't know if anyone knows this, but if you go skating on a frozen pond, there is always an inherent risk of there being areas of black ice, thin ice, brittle ice, cracked ice, things that you simply can't see. Because again, yeah. it's not maintained and looked at by anybody. And he takes this clearly inexperienced woman who is wearing a hoop skirt and a bunch of other shit. Like five skirts on top of yes. a skirt. Yeah. There's about 79 skirts. Yeah. It's too many skirts. Skirts all the way down. <laughs> but it, this was also like uh, very weirdly paced to me because in the beginning of it, we have this very, it really is a Christmas song. I don't think there's any other way to describe it. No, it and, is outrightly a Christmas song. Yeah. And they say jingle then, bells a bunch of times. Yeah. They, go, they literally go ding dong, ding dong. And then they, they start ice skating and it's just like the singers got tired of singing. So now we just have background music yeah. as immediate tragedy strikes <laughs> because one of the rabbits uh, takes a sign for thin ice and is trying to show the girl skating who promptly ignores a rabbit holding a sign. Don't know why you'd do that. Right. And then he sticks it in the ice and causes the ice to crack. Yeah, it's his fault. <clears throat> yeah. And so the ice immediately starts cracking and breaks up immediately. And a piece of ice with Jenny balanced on it floats away. And I have to say that for the first like couple minutes this happens, she is the best surfer I've ever seen. Oh, and then she dies. Yeah. And then she just gives up and lies down. Yeah. She, she, she is on a little iceberg. Yep. What I wrote down 
is I am capable of nothing. I am woman. I am woman. Hear me snore. <laughs> yeah, that's better. Um, uh, but yeah, she does nothing to save herself. And uh, Boy Rabbit and Joe get thrown in the snow and just freeze to death. So it's up to the pair of horses that was drawing their um, carriage. They were riding a horse-drawn carriage. They have to get their ship together and enlist a pair of squirrels who were just watching to rescue Jenny and Revlon uh, Rabbit, who has decided that, like Jenny, she too is too feminine to save herself and just falls over in a fit of womanly panic. I think she had a case of the vipers. The vipers. Well, they both both must have because they are useless for the remainder of the rescue. They are. And honestly, you know, uh, big props to these horses because they didn't have eyes at all. So the fact that they were able to save this woman was amazing. They save her and manage to dump her in Joe's lap and Revlon Rabbit in her bunny buddy's lap. And they just uh, thaw them out with little kisses like like you do. Yeah. So... They just kind of um, slay off together, like they hang out in their sleigh and and go mm-hmm. right off together. Like, like Jenny did not literally just die on an iceberg or get hypothermia because her twenty five layers of clothing are now soaked. Yeah, and being directly under the snow didn't do anything to the boys. They're 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 good. They're yeah. absolutely fine. They have all their feeling. And the one detail of this I did like was at the very end, you see um, sort of those folding picture frames. One has Jenny and one has Joe and he pulls the portrait clothes to kiss her. I thought that was kind of cute. I think that was cute too. That was probably my favorite part of this. And it was at the yeah. very end. Oh yeah. It was the literal last three seconds. But this was like, this was, this was such a roller coaster of an emotion for a start into just what is a roller coaster of emotion of a film. Yeah, and then speaking of roller coasters, it immediately goes into the next one, which is Bumble Boogie. <laughs> and what this basically just is, is giving a bee terrible PTSD by chasing it around with the loudest, most obnoxious animated music. Yeah, and I I didn't really look into this, uh, but I was kind of wondering if the storyboard behind this was the same person who storyboarded the Pink Elephants on Parade from Dumbo because it had that same manic energy and the bee was pink so it says here that it was one of the many pieces the um okay hang on this segment presents a surrealistic battle for a solitary bumblebee as he tries to ward off a visual and musical frenzy the music courtesy of Freddie Martin and his orchestra is a swing jazz variation of Rimsky-Korsakov's Flight of the Bumblebees which was one of the many pieces considered for inclusion in Fantasia so they were originally planning on using the original Flight of the Bumblebees in Fantasia, it sounds like. So maybe, maybe. Well, yeah, but I'm saying like there's no, um, at least from the research that I saw, there isn't anything so showing who the artist was. Like if the same artist storyboarded. Yeah, it uh, doesn't say. That stuff. Because it just, it had the same vibe. But it also definitely felt like a Fantasia reject too. A lot of these feel like that. Oh, yeah. Oh. Most of them, truthfully. Yeah, they really were. Um, well, also, I think I saw that these were films that had already been released as short segments, and then Disney just kind of packaged them up to release them, um, which is kind of interesting because they really just show how recycled all of this was. Uh, and they were doing this to try to bring in more profits so then they could go back to their original 
fairy tale storytelling form, which they will do in after the next film right. uh, when they get back into Cinderella. So this is kind yes. of a motley movie. Yeah, it's one of those things where I kind of just wish that they had been like, and I know that there's no company that would do this, but they would have been like, hey, guys, we lost all of our talent to the war. <clears throat> we don't really have it in us right now. We're kind of just going to hang for a bit. <laughs> yeah. But no, they were like, we, and it's like, I guess I get it. You need to keep making money and what have you. But yeah, these were just ugh, not good. And no. then we, we go right into one of the long, long segments in here. And this is the one um, that you, I think, one of the ones you were talking about, because there are two that are very Christian-y, but this one is very Christian. And this is The Legend of Johnny Appleseed. Yeah, this is like, this also really shows us that that these were separate shorts, because this one has a full-on opening. Yes, it does. (laughs) Like, the other ones don't. It's just, the other ones are basically just, like, the title of it and the singers behind it. And then, yeah, this one is just everyone who's a part of it animators it's just full-on opening yes and it is 17 minutes long this one wow. in particular yep the first thing we it it is so christian the the song is basically talking about i give glory to god god is amazing i love spreading his word and the, what i wrote down is it may be sunday today but i am not interested in going to church yeah, and I think also this is a pretty famous song. I I know I've definitely heard people I've say sing the Lord is good to me. Oh, you, oh, uh, uh-uh. oh. I think this one missed me. Hmm, that's you know it's really fascinating being the non-Christian here, <laughs> being exposed to all of these Christian things. It's pretty funny. Wait, how have I not seen this? I know exactly. Um. Oh yeah, I mean like it's funny because now that I read the name of the song, I can remember it from the f- movie, but I never heard it before yeah or if i had it's i i don't remember but yeah it, he really he does keep saying like the lord is good to me <laughs> and so i thank the lord those are those are the words so the first like musical words you hear in this segment it was just like Ugh. yeah i was like oh this is gonna get jesusy huh <laughs> start jesusy and then immediately we go into um he's imagining joining the group going west and i just i really like that everyone somehow knows the words to get on the wagon wagon rolling west like everyone knows the songs everyone knows the tune we're all just in it yeah also i i want to point out like the the look of johnny appleseed himself (laughs) like the main character he is the most doofy looking like he spends all of his time at church kind of guy with a receding at hairline. the age of 12 yeah yeah <laughs> like the first thing i noticed mm-hmm. and he kind of never ages either no not until he actively like goes gray <laughs> not until he's close to death basically uh, yeah but but yeah like the he sees the wagon train a leaving and i didn't realize it was just that easy to go west just hop on the wagon train don't worry about rations or anything like that. Let's just go. Yeah, as his uh va- super validating guardian angel says when he just appears, you don't need anything. You just need your Bible and this thing of seeds and a pot for your head. Like, you're good. Yeah, go his ahead. guardian angel, Jeff Foxworthy. Mm. This it, this was the... I, I think that he was supposed to be Davy Crockett. Like, that's what the design of his guardian angel was supposed to be. What with the coonstick skin cap and all of that. Maybe. But he just looks, looks like a middle-aged man. 
who maybe had a heart attack because he ate too many burgers or something, and now he's a guardian angel. It's like the stereotypical miner, the settler miner dude (laughs) in his onesie. Yeah, and I... It was so strange because he kind of convinces Johnny Appleseed to go west with the Bible. Um, Mm -hmm. And I was like, is this a weird paid for segment by the Christian Apple Society or something like that? Like, why? It's like, wow, I love the idea of going west. But before I travel, I need to make sure that I have my Apple branded Bible. Apple branded Bibles are perfect travel companions for the Christian on the go. Mm-hmm. And when you have your Apple branded Bible, you don't want to forget your Apple branded pot hat. Because who needs real fabric on your head when you could wear a hot metal pan that's going to reflect, reflect the light and cook your brain? I was about to say, like, cook your own hair as you walk. What the fuck is this for? But yeah, Yeah. he takes advice from his own imagination and heads out. And he does this wandering through the wilderness segment that I think is both animated and scored like the winter desperation scene from Bambi. Yeah, I got that too. And I got, um, I made a note that said that he was too dumb to die. Because he just walks out of and ignores tons of peril. Yeah, he's like, I'm good. I'm just going to go ahead and wander through this. Mm-hmm. And so he stumbles upon areas like, this is mine now. I'm going to plant apple trees here and also befriend all the wildlife. Yes, he will apple seed, friend to all varmints. Yep. And it, yeah, the narrator calls them varmints every single time. Varmint. I wrote down, everyone likes gentle pets and Bible songs, because, yeah, he just immediately pets all of them and starts singing that song again. Yeah, he befriends Pepe Le Pew. hmm <laughs> Which, I mean, that was kind of a cute little skunk. Like, I'd... Yes. I'd befriend that skunk. I'd but... also befriend that mountain lion. Yeah, we get, we get to hear that song and that kind of montage where he becomes friends to animals, and then we yada, yada, yada our way to finding out that other people have heard of this dude. Yeah, and it says that the uh, more came to push back the forest... Let's all revel in deforestation. Yeah. <laughs> Hooray! Hooray! And we get to see, uh, <laughs> we get to see Native Americans dancing with white people, which I'm sure is 100% absolutely what happened during this time period. And I'm sure that nobody Native has any problems with the way that these um, men and women are drawn. Oh, no. They were, they seemed, uh, like, quite happy normal and fine totally normal and fine everyone just just dancing together incredibly racist cartoons of native people did did you also notice that the the native americans show up in like this dancing scene but then yeah. later on in this party they just disappear yeah they they don't get to eat anything they're just part of the dancing <laughs> dance for our amusement and then leave was kind of the feeling no apple pickles for you no, they don't get apple dumplings or any of that shit. No. And then I feel like we also, again, yada, yada, yada our way to hearing that Johnny Appleseed did this for 40 years. Yeah. 40, 40 years of being the most boring man in the world because apples must be told or so. Like, <laughs> And then he just dies. <laughs> against a tree and Jeff Foxworthy Angel shows up again and is like, all right, well, time for you to die. <laughs> Johnny dies, then it's like, but no, but what about all the apples? 
and his yeah. angel says but heaven needs apple trees and legally we cannot grow them unless you're there johnny appleseed so may as well come who needs apples in fucking heaven apparently everybody it's it's a crucial f- function that needs to be filled and it can only be filled by this stubborn dude who wanted to just keep working god what boomer energy <laughs> right it reminded me of pinocchio so much where it's extolling the virtues of capitalism whatever the fuck don't be creative or interesting kids go around spread christianity and your apples and then no when you seed. die do the same yeah and in heaven. and then there's once again no like whoops no um ending or proper transition out we just head right into the next one which is um little toot and it's about a baby tugboat that is adorably drawn but horrifyingly obnoxious oh my god if there's nothing i love more said as sarcastically as possible it's animated children and this tugboat is the fucking worst he's definitely one of those kids where the parent takes them out in public and this kid is running around restaurants and pulling on the tablecloths and yelling and juking in and out and around people, crashing into people's knees. Oh, he's such a toot head. Like, little toot yep. is a toot head. He's such a dick. Like, one of the first things they show him doing is, like, basically <laughs> drowning his dad in a wave because he squirts a bunch of water in his face. And then he scoots around three ocean liners that all need to slam on their brakes and a bunch of other shit where then his dad's like go over there and stay out of trouble um but then he decides to ignore his dad um who is tugging in another liner and comes up and pushes it from behind which turns the rudder so this thing spins in a million circles creates basically a little cyclone and then this big fucking ship ends up in the city little two would go on to kill thousands that day yeah, that's what I wrote down. This tugboat's a murderer. That would be the accident of the century. It really would be. <laughs> I kind of felt bad for the father. I did yeah. not feel bad for Little Toot at all. I felt bad no. for Big Toot because he did kind of try. Yes. But... And he was also just like working, like doing yeah. his job. Yeah. But where, <laughs> I, I mean, I don't want to assume anything. I'm go- I am Actually, I am going to assume something. I'm going to assume that Mama Toot was dead. She yeah, and in, in the history, in the grand tradition of Disney mothers. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Because, yeah, we never hear reference to her at all. But Big Two gets demoted from tugging uh, great liners, and he now tugs a trash, an open trash barge. It's, oh, what a demotion. I'm sorry. And Little Toot gets taken 12 miles away from the shore and abandoned at sea. I was like, what do you, what do you expect this boat to do? in the water like sink was why just why is that the punishment for you to be cast out of the village but you're a boat yeah they're basically like good luck on the open water they they put him in the in the boat desert (laughs) yeah we're going to leave you here without any i don't know engine oil yeah basically survive it and then he runs into the scariest buoys known to man yeah uh those were real snow white fleeing the woods scary buoys yeah as they got close they would like not whisper but sort of be like shame (laughs) shame buoys definitely not glamour buoys that's for sure (laughs) no these are shame buoys (laughs) 
Uh, and I think this is where we also. Own bell. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. This is where we also. This is when we also see that the ocean is about to to like destroy a big boat too. Yes, uh, another ocean liner has absolutely stranded itself on the rocks. Like it was at the Costa Concordia, where the guy was like, "I'm going to do a drive by and grounded the ship." <laughs> yeah, this ship is in the rocks and is sending out an SOS faster than it, it can basically as fast as it can basically. And you know, all the other ships are you know tugboats are still at the harbor over. 12 miles plus away because that's that's where the good responsible ships are and what what will happen to this poor ship if there's not a tugboat to find it oh no well good thing we have little toot to try and save it and tug with all his might or as the andrews sisters repeatedly sing in almost a threatening way to little toot do or die little toot do or die little toot yeah, it, and then try, 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 try. Combine that with the buoys, and I think we're just looking at psychological torture. Yeah. It, it's pretty wild. And then he gets zapped by lightning and takes off, like, the literal fucking flash. hmm And at some point, he sinks. Yes, he sinks for a second, and the seagull is looking through one of the life rings, like, oh, no, and then just gets a face full of smoke because coal definitely burns underwater. And then Little Toot resurfaces in the miraculously calm sea. Like, where did the storm go? The storm that almost wrecked an ocean liner and murdered a tiny tugboat is completely gone. And he just toots his way back into the harbor with this ship, of which there appear to have been zero casualties. I am impressed. I'm astounded. I'm gobsmacked. But mostly, was this the power of apples? Is that how he was able to revive himself? Did Johnny Appleseed like teach Little Toot the power of apples and how they float? He threw one into his funnel just yeah. from heaven. Just <laughs> I'll save you, Little Toot. Here's your magic apple, and then it just somehow lifts him up out of the water. I don't and know. Maybe uh, it ends with Little Toot uh, giving us a little boat deck shake. A little toot. A little toot. Little Toot I just giving us down. a little toot. Yep, I just wrote down Sashay Shante. Sashay Shante. Because that's toot what it away. looks like. Toot Ooh, away. Yeah. Would you toot or boot this segment? Um, I don't hate it. But it's not great. It's kind of a newt, really. It's like a... Yeah, eh, it's yeah. fine. Yeah, I think, it, I think it's a newt. Yeah, I would boot trees oh with my no God. problem. I wrote down one word for the entirety of trees. Snooze. Well, that's all I have. I, I wrote down a few things. Uh, one thing I wrote is, if you're a tree sexual, this is porn. And then the I'm other not. thing that I wrote was I started going crazy and started just describing what I was seeing there. So this is just kind of a page of crazy notes that say things like trees, spider webs, roots. Look at the it God is- tree. It is God tree. It literally had a halo. Uh, Treetops, snow on tree, birds. Like, it's just, it was literally just look at these different parts of a tree. Also, I guess it's God. Also, I guess it's God. Yeah, it, it, it's weird. Uh, yeah, the, the faster we get past trees. The, wait, one more thing, though. Who is this by? Uh, Alfred Joyce Kilmer can kiss my ass. This is a boring <laughs> poem. It's not fun. No. <laughs> But what is fun, and I think my favorite segment of the movie, is the next one, Blame It on the Samba. 
I, I did like seeing our old bird friends in yet another abstract location. Possibly I hungover also from the night before. Oh right. yeah, they wander in in rough shape. Mm-hmm. He, yeah. They both wander I, in, they're super depressed. Yeah, but they, wa- they wander into a cafe called, it was just, what, Samba Cafe? Yeah, Cafe and Samba. Cafe Samba that that is uh, run by the uh, Aracushan bird? Mm-hmm, Aragoyan. Aragoyan bird? Um. And he gets them drunk off Samba. Yep. Which I kind of like. Like, I kind of wish I could get drunk off Samba. That seems fun. Same. I like the uh, organist. The Her name is Ethel Smith. She was a very jazzy organist. Uh, Jose and Donald were having a fun time dancing on the organ. A lot of fun. Um, and I feel like this was yet another short that reiterated how Donald Duck is all about in real life, woman. Uh, yep. Once again, this got like you were saying in your summary. This becomes such a strange little acid trip because this yeah. one turns into basically samba monsters and then more repeated versions of her dancing and lips. Yeah, it, it, at one point, just turns into this absolutely weird, abstract, color neon trippy deal. Like where all of a sudden this bunch of massive instruments appear and they surround Jose and Donald, who are both like, uh, no, thank you. Uh, yeah. Do you think that these were, um, <laughs> I'm trying to link these films together more than Disney was. Do you think that, that these were kind of, uh, the, oh, I'm forgetting what the short was in Make Mine Music, where they had the quartet of instruments playing? <laughs> going back in my notes <laughs> but uh, uh but you know what i'm talking about right uh, hang on hang on hang on it's uh after, uh, you've, after gone. you've gone after you've gone yeah yeah maybe yeah it was just super weird because again it started off with kind of a little bit of a theme and then it detoured into what the fuck land and then it kind of pulled back at the very end just a little wonder if this was cut from three caballeros i don't know it doesn't say anything about it but it's entirely possible or maybe this was just like their one more attempt to do that you know sort of south american outreach yeah i wonder that too i think i also saw that this was donald's last appearance for a while too interesting in in disney movies yeah i wonder why Ah, yeah, it was before, um, I think it's his last appearance before uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit uh, in, mm. a, in a full-length Disney movie, so. Uh, sorry, I, I wanted to, ex- I was scrolling down to see if I could find any f- short facts here, but I did find something here, and it's this is from the Wikipedia, where it says, In the Magic Kingdom, Walt Disney and the American Way of Life, Stephen Watts explains that while Pecos Bill recaptured some of the old magic, the film as a whole, along with the other half-hearted pastiches of short subjects, came across as animated shorts surrounded with considerable filler and stuffed into a concocted package. He adds that as a result, they never caught fire due to their varying wildly in quality, with moments of creativity being outweighed by the insipid, mediocre, stale stretches of work. Yeah, I mean, I I agree with you, Stephen Watts. <laughs> Yeah, it 
Yeah. <laughs> it's just even a bunch of these that I'm scrolling down through are a little bit weird, but the, the reviews. Yeah, just like a little bit of the reception at the time. Mm -hmm. But what's interesting is that there was some controversy, most of which was around the last segment here, Pico's Bill. Pico's Bill. Pico's Bill, starring uh, Roy Rogers. Which is delightful as a fact. Yeah, which is kind of delightful as a fact. And I think that most people now... Well, if you know Roy Rogers at all, I guess you're either going to know him as the uh, fun TV cowboy from your parents or your grandparents' age, or mm -hmm. you might know him as the name to a northeast northeastern U.S. Uh, burger chain. Roy Rogers Restaurants. <laughs> but yeah, he uh, he was born in November 5th, 1911 and died in July 6th of 1998. He was 86 years old. Well, look at that. And in this movie, he's singing to children and cow folks. Indeed. And this is one of those sort of like American folk legend stories of Pecos Bill, sort of. Um, if, if you've not seen it or heard of it, it's one of those things where... It's like, and this explains how this and that and this and that was formed. And like, for example, oh my God. <laughs> uh, one of the things they try to describe is where the um, the Rio Grande came from. And it was like, well, he was wandering in the desert and he was so, so hot. He got absolutely sick and tired of it that he just dug out a um, a stick and just carved a river right then and there. Yeah. It's that yeah, it's explaining those sort of Texas legends in a folkloric way is the backdrop to this. Yeah, and they start by talking about how Texas is like the greatest state ever. And I wrote down the other states that they mm -hmm. had around Texas. Um, there was the state of Oregon, California, Nevada, mm -hmm. Can, Mont, Oki, Florida. And then I noticed this next to each other. So, conspiracy theorists, get your pens ready. Miss La Gaga. Huh? Yeah, Georgia was written as Gaga. And right above it was La. Great. <laughs> so, tell me that Lady Gaga was not actually originally born in 1948 in the Pecos Bill skit. I wrote down somewhere that, weirdly enough, Maryland is on the map. And I found that funny. So, like, who remembers <laughs> that state? Who remembers old Maryland? I'm impressed that they could fit it in because <laughs> they were squeezing all these states together for <clears throat> Texas to take up all of it, which, I mean, I'm assuming that's how kind of native Texans feel about their state. It, It's most of the U.S. Hmm. It, it's just such a weird, well, weird little story. Yeah. Well, let's let's go back to how... Pecos Bill actually came to be. So, yes, the the plot is that this uh, tiny kid was one of way too many spawn of uh, some pioneers who were traveling across Texas, and he got launched out of their wagon one day as a little baby, um, and they described him as being homeless as a poker chip, which I was scary curious about because I don't know of a single poker chip that's homeless. Yeah, you were just in Vegas, and I feel like every poker chip would have been snatched up and had a home. Yeah, every chip is either a home of a casino house or the home of a person. Like, you don't have homeless poker chips. 
Yeah. So what does this baby naturally do? Well, he goes to crawl in a hole where there's apparently a bunch of other wolf babies. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then the wolf mom comes home. And rather than immediately eating this squishy, fleshy baby, she thinks it's one of them, quote, newfangled models. Decides to let it drink her wolf milk. Why not? Yeah. So he, he, Pecos Bill is raised as a wolf boy. And then at some point, somehow gets clothes and learns English. Yeah. And he rescues a horse that was about to die of starvation called Widowmaker. And here under the actual legend of Pecos Bill, this isn't a Melody Times version. This is just the legend of Pecos Bill. Mm-hmm. It says Widowmaker was so named because he was Texas's first and most notorious serial killer, leaving a trail of dead bodies clear across Texas. Another version of how the Rio Grande was made. Dynamite was said to be his favorite food. I don't know if that's referring to Bill or Widowmaker. I want it to be. I want it to be both. But I really, I really like this idea of a horse being so badass that it eats lit dynamite and then just kind of like poops out explosions and just kills everyone (laughs) yeah it's a mixture of like the methane gas and the dynamite powder and just like it's just all a bad time but the horse is fine the horse is a god (laughs) he's immortal this version is a little less exciting he uses a rattlesnake as a lasso and last and well actually no he goes and beats up all the vultures that are trying to eat the horse (laughs) and then they just decide to be besties and you know they do what every bestie does and just straight kiss on the lips a bunch yeah, did you did you get the feeling that uh, Widowmaker <clears throat> actually wanted to proclaim his real romantic love for Pecos Bill, but could not because horse horse teeth and tongues cannot speak English well? Entirely possible, because I will say that I have never Frenched Rohan, the horse that I took lessons with, on I'm purpose. Glad. Wait, what? Oh, have you ever just been near a horse and they've just decided to put their face in your face like any other animal has sometimes decided to do? Just like... Yeah, I just typically don't stick out my tongue at the same time. I think I I was talking. (laughs) I was talking and I was giving Rohan some like face pets and he decided, what if I just went how? I was talking to my... Yeah, I felt bad for my instructor who's around the corner because all she heard was, and then you just have to... (laughs) Oh... Well, I was running around the corner like, are you dying? It's like, I might be. Well, hey, everyone. If you have not already told your friends to listen to Damsels Who Discuss, maybe this story will convince you. Because what other podcast are your dumb friends listening to that also has a co-host that French kissed a horse, huh? <laughs> I don't huh? know. Potentially more than we than, uh, want to admit it. Well, um, I hope that we end up on the top 10 list of podcasts that have that. <laughs> I hope so. Um, the other thing that I found interesting about this was the oh, <laughs> uh, why was there so much shooting? Like he just shot his gun for no reason. Oh, I I will fully admit that there's a scene where he uses his guns, like both pistols pointed to the water to cross the Rio Grande, like uh-huh. kind of shooting and launching himself like a little um speed like little thrusters. And I kind of liked that. That was it was very funny, but that's just indicative of how much gun usage there is. Yeah, Um, and that that was a little bit of a controversy too. Yeah, there. This has almost as much shooting as the Martins and the Coys. 
it does one man does almost as much shooting as like 12 12 old men i will also say though i'll give uh disney picos uh, pecos bill credit here and that he didn't shoot at anybody he just did a lot of random shooting and tooting he did a lot of shooting and tooting mm-hmm. and smoking and that and was the other controversy yeah. Uh, another another controversy is how they claim the painted deserts came about. Ooh, I I made such a face when I saw that that. So I was like, what they say is that there was a group of uh, painted Indians doing a war dance, and what they show is a group of very racist cartoons standing in a, a circle, dipping their hands into buckets of paint and just slapping each other. Yeah, they were like slap painting each other to try to cover each other with paint. But they weren't, it wasn't, it was just like yellow and blue paint. You know, Crayola washable paint that you'd get from a craft store. And you you know what it looked like? It looked like um, any, any regular football fanatic getting ready for their yeah. favorite game. <laughs> That's exactly what it looked like. Uh, and Bill had a huge problem with this. So, oh, I lied. He did shoot at people. He shot the shit out of these Indians shooting at them and they took off running so fast that all the paint flew off them and landed on the mountains. And that's how we got the painted desert. Ta-da! That was so fucked. Like, a lot of these other little tales are um, him doing something that doesn't really intentionally harm other people. Well, this except for the was- miners. Except for the miners. Okay, that's fair. But yeah, this one was also him just literally being like, I'm going to shoot these guys. Just no for existing. provocation. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And then we come upon... Okay, so the beginning of this one was not animated. We started with seeing um, basically a group of singing cowboys, a little boy and a little girl... And they were starting out by saying that this is the legend of um, Pecos Bill and how he was the greatest cowboy ever until he met a girl. And the little boy chimes in and goes, oh, man, there's a woman in the story. I know. And the singular poor little girl that was there. <laughs> I know. Um, but this is where we see her. We we meet her. Her name is Slewfoot Sue. And for some reason, I won't understand to the rest of my days is that she rides a catfish. I yep. fucking loved her introduction because as uh, it, it, it is now canonical that she is a Disney princess. I so love we a, Sue. I, we have a Disney princess that rides a gigantic catfish. <laughs> and her name is Slewfoot Sue. I love Sue. I think Sue is fucking great. Slewfoot Sue has an article on the Disney fandom wiki that is longer than most of the articles we've read on all the actual Disney animated films. Really? Like, yeah. They, she is, I'm going to assume, a very big fan favorite uh, for having Mm -hmm. not appeared in very much anything besides this. Yeah, this is the only thing she was featured in. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I I did want to read something about this, too, from the wiki, which was the description of her. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because this is like, ooh, whoever wrote this is a big Sue fan. All right. This is the physical appearance uh, description. Slew Foot Sue has a curvy build with fair skin, blue eyes, red braided hair, red lips, and rosy cheeks. For her attire, she wears a green shirt with a brown sleeveless vest with a brown skirt with brown boots and a white cowboy hat and gloves. For her wedding day, she wears a beautiful yellow wedding dress 
with a huge steel-springed bustle and a long skirt covering her boots. And then, for some reason, the next section is her personality, and they started mm-hmm. by saying, Slew Foot Sue is a redhead in braids from another part of her world. <laughs> that, what? <laughs> like... Uh, okay. Sure. That I makes guess. all kinds of sense. I guess, but to me, she is just going to be a Disney princess on a giant catfish. Yeah, that's all that she is. And they fall in love and want to get married, and I love Sue. First of all, she gets a bustle because she wants to puff up her own ass. Mm-hmm. She puts on the dress, looks at herself in the mirror, and does the appreciative ass smack where she's just like, yes. She has a big old bustle booty. Yeah. She is interested in herself. Uh, Yeah. And unfortunate for Pecos Bill, uh, Pussy always gets in between a man and his horse. Yeah, clearly. (laughs) Widowmaker is jealous that Pecos Bill is marrying a human woman. Yeah. And so he decides, because she decides, Slew is like, well, I want to ride to my wedding on Widowmaker. Mm-hmm. And to give her credit, she's a very good rider. He is doing everything he can to buck her off. And she is fine until the bustle gets in her way. Because for some reason, this bustle has terminal bouncing velocity. I think the bustle might be a nuclear bomb. I think it might be because it doesn't just bounce her up and down. Because I will say... Um, the- <laughs> Sorry, I caught, I caught a clip from the Wikipedia that I had not seen before. Oh, um, she she yeah i'll give you give me a second she she starts bouncing on her bustle which i will admit like if you're sitting on something and it's quite bouncy or if you're sitting on something like if you wore like butt padded butt shorts to ride a horse you'd probably do a lot of bouncing around but you wouldn't continue to build energy there you wouldn't be like boing 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 oh you know what you know what her bustle was made out of remember those like little super balls that we all had as kids yeah it was like flubber. Someone filled her bustle with flubber. Yeah, because she gets bounced off of Widowmaker, bounces on the ground, and literally bounces herself so high, she ends up on the moon. Yeah, and she keeps, like, doing that thing where she, like you were mentioning, she's bouncing down a few times, and each time she bounces down, like, an entire mushroom cloud. Yeah. Appears. <laughs> and then a Pecos Bill is like, don't worry, I got this, and goes to legendarily lasso her again, because he's a great, amazing cowboy. But fucking Widowmaker steps on the back of his rope, which causes it to tension slack, and so he misses. His poor fishwife has been launched into the moon. Yep, and so he spends the rest of his life uh, going back to the coyotes and wandering around being sad. And and, and howling at the moon. <laughs> howling yeah. at the moon. For his, bring me back my fishwife with her giant flubber bustle. So uh, the comment that I had read that made me laugh was Jerry Beck, in his book, The Animated Movie Guide, comments on a risque joke in Pecos Bill that somehow made it past the censors. When Bill kisses Sue and his guns rise from their holsters, begin to fire by themselves, simulating ejaculation. He adds jokingly that perhaps Roy Rogers was covering the eyes of Bobby Driscoll and Luanna Patton during the scene, which are the the little boy and the little girl. Yeah. Oh, that's I remember because Luana Patton was the kid from the horrifying birthday party in was it Fun and Fancy Free? Yeah. Yep. So that's her. Oh, I was wondering if that was the same kid. Yes, that is her. I recognize the name Luana Patton. 
So, yeah. Do you have any more thoughts on Pecos Bill? I don't think I do have any more thoughts on Pecos Bill, but I I hope that there's people out there with tattoos of Slewfoot Sue riding the catfish, and I want to see them. Same. If you have one, please send it to us. And uh, uh, before I forget, Gally, did you did you like Melody Time, and do you recommend it? Hell no. I struggled through Melody Time. I thought that it was a package of shorts that you could see on their own and probably be able to to check them out on their own. Um, so I really don't recommend it. I do think that if any of these sound appealing to you, watch them on their own so you don't have to suffer through trees. Yeah, I agree. I didn't like it. I don't recommend it. I do recommend that you look up Blame It on the Samba on YouTube and just watch that one. That one's the most fun and the most cute. That's the most fun. And uh, what are we what are we watching next? So next week, we're going to finally end our series of package films. It's been a long, hard road of cheap films uh, with the adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad, which those sound like two completely random stories that are going to be smashed together in a movie. I it's the last package film. It is finally the last package film and there's only two segments. And Mm -hmm. then we finally, finally get back into films that probably you've heard of. Yes. Then from there on, I'm just going to list the next few. We've got Cinderella, Alice in Wonderland, Peter Pan, and Lady and the Tramp. Yes. Exciting. Yeah. And we're going, and by the way, in case anyone was wondering, we have a lot of movies still on here because... We're going all the way up into the new releases. Wish, for example, hasn't even actually been uh, released yet, but is already considered part of the list. So we're going to be watching that. And so is Strange World and Encanto and a couple of the others, uh, more recent ones like Frozen and Frozen 2 are also both on there. As is Ralph Breaks the Internet, because I, f- I find that interesting because those are both sequels, but they're considered part of this list in a way that some of the other sequels definitely aren't. That's fascinating. I guessing that it's because they had uh, massive theatrical releases yeah that's my guess as well yeah well, but uh yeah we'll see we I, we're getting into the part we're getting into the part where they're the recognizable movies i think this might be what is this called the golden age i think so um or is it yeah that's the gold i think the golden age comes before the renaissance yeah yeah because i think the 90s is the renaissance the 90s is the renaissance i remember that a little mermaid is part of the renaissance yeah so yeah this will be exciting indeed well we'll see you next time for uh the adventures of ichabod and mr toad so long glamour boys so long glamour boys damsels who discuss is created and produced by crow's nest's podcast your hosts are galley articola and alexia thurumalai you can find us on facebook at facebook.com slash damsels who discuss all one word on Instagram at Instagram.com slash damsels who discuss all one word again. And on Twitter at Twitter.com slash damsels who disco because Twitter has a character limit. Or you can also email us at damsels who discuss at gmail.com. So long, glamour boys. So long, glamour boys. <laughs>